Meister Eckhart. Eckhart is a Dominican German. He's born about 1260 in present-day Saxony. As a young man, he would have become a Dominican at the age of 15 or 16 in Eastern Germany. He's a brilliant young man, so he's sent on for further education to the Dominican House of Studies in Cologne, and then he's sent on to Paris, center of theological education at that time. And at Paris, he studies for many years, and he takes the chair of theology at the University of Paris. Then he goes back to Germany. He serves as a provincial, and then he has the unusual accolade of being called a second time to go teach in Paris. Only Thomas Aquinas before him had had two Paris teaching periods. Eckhart's a very famous preacher at this stage, famous theologian, head of the, all the Dominicans in Germany, etc. So it's a crisis when in 1326, the Archbishop of Cologne says this Meister Eckhart's teaching is dangerous, and they begin an inquisitorial process against Eckhart with excerpts taken from his writings. Most of the Dominican powers that be defended him. And we have Eckhart's defense saying that he had been misunderstood or misquoted, occasionally admitting, well, I could have said that better. And he always says quite explicitly, if someone can convince me this is theologically wrong, I withdraw it. So I cannot be a heretic. Why? Because a heretic is not a question of your intellect, it's a question of your will. That is that you stubbornly maintain things that you have been told and know are wrong. So he said, I can be in error, sure, but convince me of that. But I can't be a heretic because if you really show me that what I've said is incorrect, I withdraw it. In the midst of this inquisitorial process, Eckhart dies in January of 1328. And usually that would be the end of the story. But the Archbishop of Cologne keeps pestering the Pope, and the Pope is afraid of heresy that's spreading all over Europe. So in March 27 of 1329, the Pope issues a bull, papal document, in which he condemns 31 articles of the original hundreds of articles taken from Eckhart's writings. 1980s, the Dominican order petitioned the Pope, John Paul II, to withdraw the condemnation. But thus far, nothing has happened. One of the articles condemned as heretical deals with prayer. Article 7. Let me read it. He who prays for anything particular prays badly and for something that is bad because he is praying for the negation of the good and the negation of God and he begs that God be denied him. What Eckhart is saying, you should not pray for any particular created thing. And the Pope says, oh, no, no, that's bad. Now, is that really bad or not? That's what I'm going to try to unpack. Eckhart liked to speak excessively. He liked to speak outrageously. And a lot of his sermons are filled with outrageous statements. But that was part of his technique as a preacher. Eckhart's technique was most of the audience are asleep. And if you say something outrageous, it wakes them up and it makes them think. And what you really need to do with regard to your faith is to think about it. Let me quote just a few other passages here that echo the same kind of thing. German Sermon 67. Those who pray for anything but God or to do with God pray wrongly. When I pray for nothing, then I pray rightly. And that prayer is proper and powerful. But if anyone prays for anything else, he is praying to a false God. And one might say that's sheer heresy. I never pray so well as when I pray for nothing and nobody. So Eckhart has this strong critique of petitionary prayer, asking for something other than God. 
And I think that's the crucial recognition because he also insists that prayer is absolutely essential to the Christian life. It's certain kinds of attitudes of prayer, certain ways in which we pray that are wrong. And that's what Eckhart is trying to get across in these very excessive, dramatic kinds of, of statements. Sermon 34. If the only prayer we ever say in our lives is, thank you, that will be enough. He actually gives a little theology of prayer. The Latin Sermon 47.2. He lays down nine points about what is prayer and what is the proper way to prayer. And he gives a wonderful definition of prayer. He says, prayer is having a conversation with God. Much delights those in love to talk to each other familiarly and in secret. So there's a strong theology of prayer in Eckhart, but there's also a strong critique of certain ways of praying. Eckhart's teaching in prayer needs to be seen in the light of his whole mystical theology in which the idea of letting go, letting go and detaching from creatures and our attachment to creatures is the only way to God. And getting rid of our, our attachment to creatures our attachment to ourselves, and even our attachment to God, at least God conceived of as a kind of reward machine. God is a great rewarder in the sky. If you put enough quarters in the slot, God will send down the candy bar. <laughs> That's the idea of God you have to get rid of. So you have to detach yourself from creatures, inordinate desire for creatures, your inordinate sense of yourself, and also your wrong idea of God. That needs to be let go that needs to be detached. And insofar as wrong attachment is a part of your praying, it's a bad prayer. Prayer that Eckhart wants most must be without attachment, and it must not become a business arrangement with God. It should not take away a person from his inner rest. It must ask nothing else from God than God himself. So that's the proper prayer, asking God for God's self not asking God for stuff that we need to fulfill our own desires. And you find that teaching throughout the course of Eckhart's writings. I'll quote just a couple of these. The most powerful prayer and the strongest of all to obtain everything is that which proceeds from an empty spirit. The emptier the spirit, the more is the prayer and the work mighty, worthy, profitable, praiseworthy, perfect. The empty spirit can do everything. The empty spirit is one that is confused by nothing, attached to nothing. For it is all sunk deep down into God's dearest will and has forsaken its own will. We ought to pray so powerfully that we should like to put our every member and strength, our two eyes and ears, mouth, heart, all our senses to work. And we should not give up until we find that we wish to become one with God who is present to us and whom we entreat. So powerful prayer for Eckhart is really essential, but it has to be the right kind of prayer. You can't ask God for something. You have to ask God, in a certain sense, for God. In that sense, Eckhart also teaches that, you know, prayer is not changing God's will, to because there's no past and present for God. God lives in the eternal now, in which all things are present. So asking for something that might change in the future is the wrong way of thinking about this. Detachment is the true nature of prayer. So someone prays, he asks God to get something for him, or he asks God to take something away from him. Does not know how to pray, but a heart in detachment asks for nothing, nor has it anything of which it would gladly be free. So it is free of all prayer, and its prayer is its uniformity with God. So your union with God itself is a prayer. 
If you take that condemned article that I read at the beginning, Article 7, the Pope and the Inquisitors, you know, lifted out this article. In explaining that outrageous statement, Eckhart says, you know, every devout person praying to God should pray this alone. May the will of God be done or what God wants. Fiat voluntas tua, let your will be done. That's the ultimate prayer. May the will of God be done or what God wants, not this or the other thing being done. Let it be that God wishes this or that, whether to give or not to give. Hence, a person who prays like this receives by not receiving, consequently always gets everything that he asks for. Two further points about Eckhart's prayer. Eckhart almost always ends each sermon with a prayer. You know, they're short prayers, but I think they're very powerful because they come at the conclusion of each of those sermons, and they often summarize the message of the sermon. I'm going to read you just one of those because it gives an insight into Eckhart's mode of prayer. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have given us your only begotten Son, in whom you give yourself and all things. We ask you, Heavenly Father, that just as you have given us your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom and in whom you neither will nor can nor may deny anyone anything, so may you hear us in him and make us free and empty of our many faults and make us one with him in you. Amen. That prayer it starts with thanksgiving. It does make a petition, but doesn't make a petition for some particular thing. It makes a petition for God's giving in Christ. It's a deeply Christological prayer. I think it's a fine summary of what Eckhart had in mind. Eckhart preaches about the birth of the word in the soul. What is the birth of the word in the soul, and how do we arrive at that birth of the word in the soul? And the basic message is stillness and silence and emptying the self is the only way to arrive at the birth of the word in the soul. I think this may be one reason why John Maine, in a certain sense, had read Eckhart and resonated with Eckhart. Someone asked Eckhart, is it better to do something towards the birth of the word in the soul, to imagine and to think about God? Or should a person keep still and silent in peace and quiet and let God speak and work in him, waiting for God to act? He says this teaching is advanced teaching. It's for advanced people. They must know that the very best and noblest attainment in this life is to be silent and to let God work and speak within. When the powers of the soul have been completely withdrawn from all their works and images, then the word is spoken. Therefore, he said, in the midst of silence, the secret word was spoken unto me. And so the more completely you are able to draw in your powers to a unity and forget all those things and their images which you have absorbed, the further you get and get from creatures and their images, the nearer you are to this and the readier to receive it. If only you could suddenly be unaware of all things, then you could pass into your oblivion of your body as St. Paul did when he said, whether in the body or not, I cannot tell.